0: For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Vanessa Klugman, who is a retired physician as well as a trained recovery coach. She specializes in working with people on letting go of habits and beliefs that no longer serve them and create healthier, more empowering ones. This can be habits such as problematic drinking, overeating, smoking, as well as habits of procrastination or perfectionism. So settle into this episode and here where we go as we talk about mindfulness, we hear a little bit more about Vanessa's own recovery journey. We also talk about the gift and practice of self-compassion. Welcome to the Centered in the City podcast, Vanessa.
1: Well,
0: thank you. Thanks, Wade. I'm glad to be here. Talk to me about what does it mean to be centered?
1: Being centered to me means being balanced and grounded, right? Being in the middle, not being pulled to one side. Um, And for me, the way to get centered is to use mindfulness, to be present right here in this moment, not being pulled to the future, not being pulled to the past.
0: Mm. I love how you just emphasize balanced as being this present moment, right? We're not Mm -hmm. being pulled. We're not feeling the pull of the future. We're not feeling the drain and pull of the past, but just right here in this moment.
1: I mean, this is the only moment we have, right? (laughs) This is where we live our lives, but so much of the time we're living our lives in the future. What if this happens? What if that happens? Or we are pulled to the past and we miss out on the moment Mm -hmm. that we're actually...
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into the work that you do and particularly like how you bring mindfulness into your practice.
1: Sure. So I'm a physician. Um, I was an endocrinologist and I stopped practicing medicine when I came into recovery in 2015. In fact, it'll be two, six years in two days. Congratulations. Thank you. So I always tell everyone I came into recovery from an unlivable life. I was buying into beliefs that really did not work for me. And my beliefs were that my worth was equated with how much I achieved and how much I did for everyone else. And so it ended up with me living on a hamster wheel of pushing, proving, perfecting myself while always feeling like it was not enough and I was not enough. And what that that ended up in me having this inner sense of anxiety and dis-ease. And I ended up using, uh, went outside of myself for the solution. And the solution for me was keeping myself really busy, working constantly, doing things all the time for everybody, or taking pills to escape the feelings of anxiety. And that ended up in the addiction to prescription painkillers and anxiety medication. So when I came into recovery, I really knew that the answer had to be somewhere within myself, and that I needed to figure out a way to cope with uncomfortable feelings that, like anxiety, that I'd always been trying to escape. So I just happened across, I I was really intrigued by mindfulness, and I heard about it, and I was like, I, as an exa, as a antidote, or as a way of helping one cope with feelings of anxiety, or sadness or depression, and so I started, I I listened to a mindfulness summit, and in the summit were all the great speakers around mindfulness, Tara Brock and Kristen Neff and Rick Hansen, and I became really interested in the Buddhist philosophy, which spoke to me and resonated really deeply with me, so I then started to develop a mindfulness practice. Um, and started to learn how to meditate and how to sit in silence and just be with my own thoughts. And it profoundly altered my ability and capacity to be with anxiety and hold my own anxious feelings and led me to being a much less reactive person and a much more balanced person and a person who was able to um, just really accept and allow my emotions rather than fighting them and pushing them away. And by doing that, they became much more manageable.
0: Yeah. And you just shared, you know, an experience that I think is so common, especially in our modern day world, of feeling like on this hamster wheel, feeling like our worth is tied up into our production or how much we're making or our feedback that we're getting from the external world. And I'm curious, like, and I'm hearing, you know, you you self sued in the beginning through kind of staying busy so that you weren't connecting to your feelings or um taking medication so that it was kind of numbing the anxiety and how did you have this moment this kind of like aha moment of wow I have an addiction to these medications or like what for you clicked to find something to shift to be with yourself versus kind of the numbing out
1: that's a great question so
0: um I was actually I don't know that I had that
1: initial aha moment I was sort of forced into recovery right, so I was found, I was found out, I was, you know, it was found out against my will. um, That that this was going on, and in that moment when that happened, I really realized and the pills were taken away from me, like that was not an option anymore. It was in that moment that I started really going within to find answers, right? So I think it was really that moment woke me up and said, you know what, this is not the way forward. This is just not working for you. This is really not the answer. Even though I'd had inklings of that, I just really honestly did not know how to find the answer. And I was forced into it, thankfully, and by that this really extreme thing that occurred in my life right but and that gift of desperation is is what they say in AA they talk about the gift of desperation that led me in this in this other direction in my life that opened up all these avenues and windows that hadn't been opened before doors that had not been opened before in my life so it was when I read about Buddhism and the philosophy of Buddhism that really resonated with me and helped me understand myself and the human experience that Mm -hmm. I hadn't had that experience before in my life. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really understood things in that kind of way before in my life.
0: Yeah. As you're sharing, it kind of even just feels like the slowing down enough and it's you were forced to turn inwards. You were forced to Mm -hmm. find something within yourself to help yourself versus something external. And I'm hearing the Buddhist words and kind of philosophies really resonated you. Is there something in particular that stood out for you then or that stands out for you now that supports you still on your journey?
1: So I think the thing that I find most useful in the Buddhist philosophy um, and of the Four Noble Truths of the Buddha the idea that we suffer because we fight reality, mm. right? We suffer because we are not, we are either craving something or we are pushing something away, but we're not accepting reality as it is. And our suffering just dissolves if we can just be with reality as it is. And so for me, that's what mindfulness allows me to do. It allows me to sit with reality as it is and not, want to get rid of it right not want to push it away or not want to hold on to it hold on to the good or push the bad away right so I enjoy things when they are pleasant but I'm not clinging in that kind of way like I want this to last this must last right that kind of craving feeling or I want this to go away this feels so bad it must go away but when you learn to just be with it all as it is then the suffering just dissolves right it goes away and so that's that's what meditation and the practice of mindfulness helped me get to that place so for me meditation isn't about sitting on the cushion right it's about the practice that I learn when I sit on the cushion that I can then use all day long every day when I interact with people when things are hard when things are challenging where I can let go of all that thinking and come back to what's going on in the moment
0: What you're just sharing, you know, it sounds like the equanimity practice, right? To be in this balanced, centered place and kind of brings us back to your definition of being centered, right? Where we're not being pulled by one of the winds this way or one of the winds this way of life, but we're really right here in the present moment, that's so true of like how we so easily cling our, and I'll just say our minds, it's not really us, right? It's our minds, it's our thoughts, how we can so easily cling to the pleasant, like, oh, this feels so good. I want this to stay forever. I'm at this like high point in my career or my life, or, oh, this is such a heart, you know, this feeling of heartbreak is so painful. How do I escape this? How do I, and just to give ourselves permission to be with mm-hmm. is, uh-huh. is the practice,
1: Mm -hmm. right right
0: how did how did you create for yourself a consistent practice whether it was on the cushion or off the cushion and integrated into your life
1: so I started by just creating a mindfulness meditation practice and I just committed that I'm going to do 15 minutes a day and I'm going to just commit to this this is I I saw the relevance I saw the I'm, I'm a doctor so I looked for evidence right and I saw evidence in studies about how profound the impact of mindfulness is on our brain and the the effects it has on our brain and I was just really taken by the data and I was like this this works this if I just commit to this I need to do this I did that and then I incorporate into my life other sort of mini mindfulness moments like I do with my client my coaching clients I'll tell them I'll introduce them to the stop practice right Mm -hmm. where you stop during the day we take some deep intentional breaths and then i have them open and observe well what am i thinking about right now am i in the future am I in the past i'm in the present what what emotions are present um why don't the sensations in my body and then with the p i have them proceed like what's the next right action in this moment what's what what's in alignment with my value right now so i, I incorporated small mindful moments like that into my day Um, and then just trying to slow down right and not rush around so much not constantly I was a very much of a do 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 and try to just be in the moment and you know sit and have my coffee in the morning and not do a million other things at the same time which is what I was always multitasking before but really just try to slow my day down and enjoy the moments as much Mm. as I can
0: Yeah, the key word there, right? Being slowed down because we live in such a fast paced world. And I just on a previous podcast, solo episode I did, I talked about this thing called hurry sickness, which we have in our culture, this feeling that we need to do things faster than it actually needs to be done and how much pace really affects our thoughts and really affects our nervous system and affects how then reactive we can be. Um, so I love that you're emphasizing the slowing down. Just yesterday, I was on a walk in the neighborhood and I was about to jump on a walking coaching call on the client. And I noticed how fast my pace was. I was, you know, speed walking. And I saw this woman walking across the street and she was so slow, so slow. And I was like, oh, she was this a mirror to me of how fast I was walking. And I just started to walk slower and really right. felt that internal shift of like, oh yes, my mind can be right here.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I'll do that with eating, like really just mm-hmm. mindfully eating, right? Just noticing how fast we eat and just slowing it down and actually tasting the food, mm-hmm. like really tasting the food. And I'll have, I'll work with clients on that too, who are struggling with just binge eating or overeating. Why don't we just slow down and actually taste the foods and by slowing down, you eat less, right? You start to appreciate it and notice it and bring attention to the fact that you're eating. Mm.
0: How do you work with your clients or even yourself of when you notice they're in such that speed, high speed, go, go, go mentality, And they have a hard time slowing down, like to slow down is so uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. You were talking about that earlier of, you know, constantly being the do, 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 do. And then for them to tap into that being just in the Mm -hmm. present moment, how do you support them in that transition?
1: Yeah, that's a challenging. So before we can change anything, we have to be aware of the patterns in our lives, right? Awareness comes before change. So I really have people work on becoming aware of the habit and the habit of doing, right? I'm a doer, I do, I do. And I have them really start to become aware of how that habit feels. Like, is that, is that habit of doing actually, does it feel good? How does it feel? Let's get really curious about the sensation of doing. How does it feel in your body when you're constantly doing, doing, doing? And caught in the to-do list or caught up in the doing, because a lot of the time when you check in and you start to ask yourself in the middle of doing something, in the middle of the rushing, 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 and you check in for a moment and just ask yourself, what is going on in my body? There's a lot of tightness, right? There's a lot of contraction when we're doing, there's a lot of um, urgency and it doesn't feel good. Like it doesn't have a good feeling in the body. When people start to become aware of how that habit feels like I really think the embodied experience of a habit is really helpful that doesn't feel good well what would feel better like what feels better and gradually shifting to just it and it can take a while right it's a practice because we're so we've so grooved that pathway in our brain that we need to be doing 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 and the doing pathway and we have to shift to a new neural pathway of like pausing maybe it starts with just pausing, right? And not doing and see, and it will feel uncomfortable. There's going to be a discomfort with the shift, but maybe with time, what people often find is that as they pause, as they slow down and check in, well, how does that feel in my body? That feels better. Hmm. It actually opens some space. Like you start feeling a little bit more spaciousness. Um, So it's really, I think, the the habit of like breaking the habit is becoming aware of it checking in as to how it feels in my body noticing it does not feel so great in my body shifting pausing shifting towards just sitting initially for 30 seconds right and taking up breathing for 30 seconds how does that feel in my body when I shifted and I just was quiet for 30 seconds when that feels better, we're going to choose that more often. We'll feed that, that will feed that pathway because we're like, oh, that feels better than doing. Mm. Sitting
0: feels better. Does that make sense to you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the pause is such an important practice in our momentum built lifestyle, right? That we can just kind of like a, a fish getting thrown downstream sometimes. So to really take that intentional Mm-hmm. pause we can sometimes already feel like the, the inertia around us and that resistance and how can we breathe through that and I love what you say if let's tune into the body notice it and and really emphasize like if it doesn't feel pleasant that's okay because mindfulness and meditation it's not there to feel pleasant I think there's that misconception that it's all peace and calm and woo-woo like yumminess, you know, and yeah, there might be some of that at some point along the journey, but a lot of the time it's being with the uncomfortable. It's learning how to be with that uncomfortable. And then I hear what you're saying of shift the focus, shift the attention to um, something else that's going to really direct the outcome that you want or towards your values. Mm-hmm. You, know, you and I, before we hit chord, we're talking about self-compassion and we kind of were saying how like self-compassion is like the secret sauce. It's the antidote for everything in life. And so where can people bring this practice of self-compassion into their lives? Or, and how can that look?
1: The really good question. So first of all, self-compassion can be brought on into your mindfulness practice, right? Mindfulness is really heartfulness, right? So it's not just sitting in quiet, watching your breath and if you just did that, as you said, it can be very unpleasant. It's not a pleasant experience, but you really, the attitude with which you sit on the cushion is crucial. And if you're sitting there with an attitude of compassion, that is critical to the practice, right? Whatever you meet, you bring tremendous compassion towards and kindness. You'll notice judgment, judgment will come up. Oh, I'm not doing this right. Or I did that wrong or whatever. And with whatever comes up, we bring a lot of compassion to that. And that makes it much more palatable to sit on the cushion, right? If you're you're being kind to yourself. But we can bring compassion. I think one of the ways I've used compassion a lot is for that inner critical voice, right? So that voice that's always saying, oh, you should be doing this and you should be doing that better and you should be thinner and you should be, faster and you should be whatever it is you should be doing it like that person's doing it whenever I notice that critical voice I tune into a voice of self-compassion so and what to me that looks like and really it comes from Kristen Neff I don't know if Mm -hmm. you know her work yeah so Kristen Neff's work who's sort of the person who's done all the research a lot of the research on self-compassion is that there are three parts to it right so First, you have to notice that you're beating yourself up. Oh, wow, I'm actually beating myself up. Rather than just beating yourself up, you step aside and you say, oh, I'm mindful. I'm noticing. I'm beating myself up. Then you need to be kind to yourself. So what does that look like? Maybe it's putting a hand on your heart and saying, wow, this really hurts right now. This is painful. Like, can I be on my own side? What does that look like? What's a kind thing I can do for myself right now? And then noticing that we're all in this together right like we all beat ourselves up at times we all struggle we all suffer we're not alone in that it's a part of the human condition that we struggle we beat ourselves up we suffer we're not alone and by doing that over and over again it's it really helps with self-criticism it helps with the feelings of shame Um, It helps a lot for anxiety, like for people who struggle with anxiety and depression. I mean, it just, it works for so, it helps with so many mental health conditions to just keep turning towards ourselves instead of turning away from ourselves and beating ourselves up.
0: Mm. Yeah, right. We get to be our best friend on this journey of life versus our worst enemy. And that is such a practice because we are conditioned to be our most critical, judgmental selves. And especially if our environment has taught us, you know, if we have had parents who model that kind of behavior or, or bosses or managers that are kind of feeding that voice, it can be extra hard to be kinder to ourselves because we haven't heard those words or heard people model them. But yeah, it is so important. I know I've shared this before in the podcast, but even when I was diagnosed with cancer and I was going through chemo, I realized like I could be part of the healing journey. Like I got to be part of the healing journey. I got to talk to my cells with kindness. I got to send my body love and and healing energy versus, you know, ignore it or just say power through it or suck it up or, you know, and it was a complete shift in my relationship to myself. And I think how I got through to the other side.
1: That's beautiful. Yeah. We do so much better when we've been loved than when we've been beaten up and judged, right?
0: Totally. And that's part of, you know, what all humans want, right? Is that piece of love and belonging. And we get to find that piece within ourselves first before we can even find that within relationships.
1: Right. Yeah. Tell
0: us like for... People who are maybe questioning if they have an addiction, maybe it's a food addiction, maybe it's alcohol or, or prescription drugs or social media or caffeine or, you know, whatever it may be, sugar. What are some of the like signs or, or symptoms or things that people can be looking for to build that sense of awareness if they are in an addictive cycle?
1: that's a great question. So first of all, I'd like to say that I think most people are addicted to something, right? That's the human nature. We get addicted to things quite easily. And like you said, it could be something like sugar. It can be uh, a lot of people are addicted to social media. I love the definition of addiction as continued use despite adverse consequences. Mm. So if you're noticing that you're continuing to use something, but it's not serving you, and it's not working in your favor, then you probably have an addiction, and you don't have to reach rock bottom, right, to seek help, or to decide that this particular habit in your life is not working for you, right, you don't have to wipe out to decide, this isn't leading me to be the kind of person I want to be, it's not working with, me. I, I love checking in with my values, like, If my value is spending time with my family, right, or connecting with my family, and I'm I'm spending all my time on social media, then I probably have an addiction or, right, a a habit that isn't working for me because I'm spending all my time doing something that is not in alignment with what is important to me in life. So I really have people check in with, is this in alignment with the kind of person I want to be and the values I want to live? And if not, then... Let's work towards letting go of that habit. And I I do work with people also from a harm reduction perspective. So, you know, if you're having problematic drinking, maybe you don't need to completely quit. Maybe you do want to just moderate. Maybe you do want to quit. Maybe that does work better for you. Maybe you're curious about what it would be like to be sober. Well, then let's try and experiment for three months and see what that feels like. And then you get to choose. You're in in the control of your own life. You get to choose if this is the thing you want or not, which works better for you.
0: Yeah. And I I love the emphasis of we're all addicted to something, right? So there's no shame in it It's part of even bringing some self-compassion, right? That's part of the human experience to have some form of addiction and to ask ourselves, is this creating more harm than good? Is this, um, the definition you said, am I having, am I continuing to do it despite at, uh, what was that? adverse, adverse Consequences. consequences. Yeah. 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 Um, I think is a beautiful, kind of question to just ponder for anybody listening to this of like, huh, what am I doing right now that I'm continuing to do that might not have the best consequences yet I'm continuing to choose this, this road. And that's even right there, a beautiful mindfulness practice to just sit with and ponder without judgment, but just observation. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you can come up with some interesting answers.
0: Vanessa, where can people learn more about you and the work that you do?
1: Um, so I am a life and recovery coach. So they can find me on my website, which is ResilienceRecoveryCoaching.com. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Resilience Recovery Coaching, and an Instagram, which is resilience underscore recovery underscore coaching coaching. Um, and I work a lot with people who are really just ready to let go of habits that are no longer serving them and that there can be habits like perfectionism, procrastination, rumination, as well as things that we talked about, problematic drinking, overspending, things like that.
0: So powerful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your story and your insight.
1: Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It was a great chat.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Centered in the City podcast. Join us on Instagram to continue the conversation around how we get to use mindfulness and self-compassion to support us on our own recovery journey, whatever that may be. If you know somebody that could benefit from listening to this episode, share it. As we know, sharing is caring. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, stay centered.